empty lie. God spoke and created the entire world. Light, sky, fish, birds, animals. And God said, let us be human beings in our own image. And created man as first. And the man became a human being named Adam. After six days of work, God took a rest. God then put Adam in a garden where there were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told Adam, eat from any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from it, you will die. Eventually, God caused the man to fall asleep, took out one of his ribs, and created a woman who Adam and Eve. God joined Adam and Eve together in marriage. Later, a serpent came and convinced Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, saying they would become like God if they did. Eve took a bite, and so did Adam. Because of this choice, God cursed the serpent as well as Adam and Eve and forced them out of the garden, away from the tree of life. Outside the garden, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain was a farmer, Abel was a shepherd. When they made sacrifices, God accepted Abel's sacrifices of animals, but not Cain's sacrifice of Christ. This made Cain so angry that he murdered People began to populate the entire earth, and wickedness and tragedy continued to spread. God regretted ever making human beings and decided to wipe them from the face of the earth. But God found one man, Noah, who walked faithfully. So God instructed Noah to build a giant boat called Noah and to take his entire family along with the male and female of every kind of animal onto the boat. For 40 days it rained and the entire earth was flooded, wiping out every living thing, plants, animals, and humans, all of it destroyed. Eventually, the flood stopped and the ark came to rest on dry land. Noah and his family came out of the ark, and God made a promise that the entire earth would never again be completely flooded. God put a rainbow in the sky as a reminder of his promise, and God looked for someone to bless the entire world. So, we are starting today on the story. Um, I want to I wanna especially thank Pastor Doug and Pastor Mindy kind of with help, helping me out with this because what we're hoping to do with this is not just um, give you this information, but to provide you with this information on what the Bible is about and what it teaches us about God and ourselves and how to be a part of the biblical story and how to apply it to our lives, but also so that you can take this um, and you can teach your children and you can teach people, growth group leaders in your growth groups what this means to uh, be a Christian who stands under Scripture and who understands that uh, Pastor Mindy and Doug have helped as they are teaching our youth and our children the same thing um, as we go along together so that you can, you can help teach this in the home and be about this in your home. One of the challenges I have for you as we, we go through the Scriptures is to allow this uh, to change your story and your life. Um, I believe that God's story changes our story as we enter into it. And so as we get started here, go ahead and open up your Bibles to page one. (laughs) 
You've also got the notes in front of you if you are note takers. I hear pages turning, so I'll wait a second. So Genesis 1, 1 and 2 says this. It says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The first thing that I want you to learn this morning as we get into the scriptures and as we look at the first about eight or nine chapters of Genesis this morning is just quite simply this, right? Real simple. Is that God is a creator. The God is creator and he is the beginning of all things. Uh, if you're taking notes or if you like to look at the scripture and take things out of the scriptures, um, and understand what we're talking about. Here's one of the things that I would encourage you to underline is heavens and earth. What we are being told here is that God created the heavens and earth. In other words, God created everything. That without God, nothing would exist. That he takes nothing and he creates something. Everything the eye can see, every air, every piece of air molecule that we breathe has been created and put here by God. And the reason that I, I want you to know this, and this is so important to us, and yet this seems so elementary, is that if you can believe that God has created everything, you can believe the rest of the scriptures. You can believe that God parted the Red Sea. You can believe that Noah spent a few days in the belly of a fish. You can believe that he's able to heal the sick and that he's able to raise the dead. You will believe that everything that God has created also belongs to him. God is the creator. Of course, some of you might want to ask the question um, that many of us have, maybe well, how did God do this? How did he bring this about? Here's the thing that I want you to know when you get to the scientific questions about the scriptures. There are some answers that, there are some questions that we have about, about the how that go unanswered in the scriptures. And in fact, I, I want you to know that if you're going to the Bible as a science textbook, you're going to be disappointed. But I do want you to look at this in verse 2. Without God, all form, everything is formless and void. In other words, God gives us the basis for science and for mathematicians, the greater science, right? Math. Everything has order and form because this is the way in which God has created the earth. So that we can then discover, as we discover different things, that God is the creator of it all anyways. The reason it has order, the reason that it has form, is because God created it that way. Everything that we find that is actually true, by the way, that is actually true, we are just discovering things that God already knows. So God is creator. He puts form to everything. He is the beginning and the order of everything. Those of us who have 
friends, right, who don't believe that God is creator, that doesn't believe that God actually gave form and order to everything. Um, here's some questions that I, I want to give you to kind of talk to people about this. Well, if you don't believe that God is creator, how does something come from nothing? This is something that science leaves unanswered. How does, how, how do you explain consciousness? Like, how, how do you explain that we can think, that we know we exist? Science does not answer that. How do you, how do you explain why we're here? These are all things that go unanswered. And yet Genesis answers them. So why are we here? If you're taking notes, write this down. And simply because God desires to be with you. God desires to be with you in such a way that you will know Him and to bring Him glory. God desires to be with me, right? You, you need to see this in Genesis. Genesis 1, 26-27 and verse 31 says this. It says that God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God saw everything he made. And behold, it was very good. Go ahead and underline in verse 26. Us are and are. Here what we see is Trinity. In other words, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see God created, tri-unity. We see that God is himself in a relationship here. That God is in perfect community. And that God is relational by his very nature. He's the Father, he's the Son, and he's the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that the Spirit of God was hovering above the face of the waters in verse 1? Now, this is important. This is important for a number of reasons. One of the things that I want you to know is that you are not an accident. This is one of the things that Genesis teaches us, is that you are not an accident. That God created you on purpose because he wanted to be with you. He likes being in relationships. And the interesting thing about this is God didn't create us because he needed us. He doesn't. He's already in a perfect relationship with himself. He's not displeased, like, ah, I, I, I don't want to be around the Spirit anymore. Right? I, I need another friend. You know, this, the son, he's getting a little whiny today. Right? This, this is not what God is doing. But rather, a way to explain this is to explain it like a, a healthy marriage. In a healthy marriage, you have two people who love each other, who are getting along, presumably, right? And then one day they decide, perhaps, that they want to have a child. And so they are going to bring this child into their family, not because they need that child to make their marriage better or happier or anything like that. And by the way, if you um, are thinking about having a child to make your family happier or better or easier, uh, i got news for you. Um, <laughs> But this is what God is doing, is he is bringing us into his family so that he can have a relationship with us, because this is just who he loves to be, and this is who he 
in fact, um, one of the best ways to explain this and um, use this as an analogy is actually adoption. Because what we're told is that we are made in the image of God. But all of you know, like, if you're going to adopt a child, that child is not going to look like you. Uh, so what you're trying to do is when you adopt a child, you are raising this child so that you can share your love with them. And one of the things that all parents do is that they teach their children to grow up and model their, their behavior, uh, their view of life, um, and who they are, and where they're headed. And so that is, that is a better analogy for what is going on here than a lot of other stuff I heard, and that's the way that I like to explain it. And so you are made in the image of God, if you want to underline in His own image, and that you reflect God in your relationship with Him in a number of ways. One of the ways in which you reflect God and you are made in His image is not that you physically like, look like Him. You are not God, and God is not a man. God is spirit, we are told. But you are a spiritual being like God. The second thing you should know is you are a rational being. And so the reason that we can figure out form and how things are made and created and how we can kind of think God's thoughts after Him in that way is because you are rational. You are able to put thoughts together just like God does. The, second, the third thing you should know as you are thinking about being made in the image of God is that your soul endures forever. Right? From the time that you are, are born and as you continue on, your soul continues to go. So you are eternal in that way. You have a start, unlike God, but you do not have a finish like God. And you are made to endure with Him forever. And the final thing that I want you to know when you think about being made in His image is this. Is that you were created to communicate and relate with God and other people. In other words, you are relational just as God is. We know this because in uh, chapter 2 we're given a little more detail and God creates a woman. And we all know that women are better at relationships than men, don't we? Right, I remember I was at a party, and I was uh, talking to this couple, and we were talking about how we have uh, marriage classes and about communication at our church. And the guy told me, he said, oh, my wife and I would never need that. We have a great relationship. He said, my wife, she majored in communications, and uh, I majored in the theater and arts. And so she communicates really well, and I pretend to listen. <laughs> If you were to look at chapter 2, what we have in chapter 2, we do have a little more detail in the creation story. We have a little more detail on why God created Adam, and what he wanted Adam to do, and why he created Eve, and how she was a compliment and a helper to Adam. And so I wanted to do a lot of research on this, um, and kind of let you uh, know what I have found, because um, it does seem odd, too, that God would create Eve. Um, because if you read through the creation story, what you find is, like God, Adam doesn't seem to be lonely, right? Uh, there's no indication other than when God looks at Adam, he just says, he tells Adam, uh, by the way, it's not good for you to be alone. Adam was in paradise. Things were going right for him. He had no idea a woman could or should exist. And so I, I did a lot of um, really deep research here, and this is what I found, uh, the reasons why God created Eve. Uh, one of the reasons was that God was worried that Adam would always be lost in the garden because uh, she knew that he would never ask for directions. <laughs> <laughs> he 
God knew that Adam would never buy any fig leaf after the old one wore out. That's funny. Um, God, God knew that Adam would never make a doctor's appointment for himself. As keeper of the garden, Adam never remembered where he put his tools. God knew that if the world would be, would, were going to be populated, that there would have to be someone who would bear children because men would never handle it. The truth is, is that we're simply told that Eve was created to be a perfect companion and to be in communion with Adam, to be his complement. And in the scripture, what we see is we see Adam and Eve, we see them living in harmony with one another, and we see them living in harmony with God, and we have no idea how long this went on for. All we know is that that's the way it was, that this, these relationships were perfect, that they went unbroken, um, and uh, it could have gone a day, it could have gone a thousand years. But what we do know is that this perfection was tarnished. Uh, what we do know is uh, that it was messed up. What we do know is that Adam and Eve eventually uh, are separated from God and their relationship is broken. And for us to understand the rest of the Bible, we have to understand this. And for us to understand ourselves and everybody else, we have to understand this next thing that I want you to write down, is that your sin separates you from God. This is why it didn't last. As sin entered into the world, and your sin will separate you from God. God basically gives Adam and Eve one ground rule while they're in the garden. He says, you shall not eat of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's it. Everything else is yours. Everything else is for you to have, for you to steward, for you to keep. But do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, why did God give this one command? Why was this tree there? I'm not sure why the tree was there, but perhaps all of this is there uh, to give Adam and Eve a choice. Right? I explain it basically with this idea of free will. Free will. We have a choice to obey. We have a choice to love. Um, and sometimes we choose to do that. But if we're honest with ourselves, we are typically pretty bad choosers, aren't we? Right? Given the choice to obey, given the choice to love, we often choose what we shouldn't. In chapter 3, this character enters, it's in the form of a serpent. Here's the first indication of Satan showing up. Now, we are told by Jesus that Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. And so this is what the serpent is up to. By the way, did you write down, my sin separates me from God? Will you say that with me just one time? My sin separates me from God. Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what sin does to your life. It kills you, it steals what belongs to you, and it destroys your life. And so we should never be satisfied with sin in our life. It separates from God, and it kills us, it steals from us, and it destroys us. So whenever we find it, we should destroy it. Sin ruins our fellowship and relationship with God. Check out what the serpent does here 
Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say? Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree of it? Uh, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Here's, um, here's the first thing that Satan will have you do with God's word as we begin to get into it. First thing it, Satan will have you do is to doubt what God would say. Did he really tell you not to eat of any tree? What's, what's interesting here is, is God was very clear with Adam and Eve. One prohibition. Do not, and very clear, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But look at how already here Eve begins to fall into this trap. She responds in verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but, God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, here, if, you're, if you look close, right, Eve actually adds to what God said. Eve begins to modify God's word as she begins to fall into this trap of Satan trying to get people, us, her, in this instance, to doubt God's word. The serpent continues. But he said to the woman, you will not surely die. Here's the second thing Satan will do. He will get you to deny God's word. Now, this is a half-truth, by the way. Right? The serpent knew when they decided to eat the fruit of the tree, that they weren't going to stop breathing right immediately. But rather something else was going to happen first, like creation was going to be broken, the relationships were going to be broken, and then eventually they would stop breathing. So Satan wants you to deny God's word. The third thing that Satan will do, verse 5, for God knows, this is Satan continuing here, the serpent, for God knows that when you eat of the tree, when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The final thing that Satan will do, and that we see here, is that he will reverse God's word. Here's what Satan wants to do in your life. He wants you to believe what is bad for you is good for you. And what is good for you is bad for you. He reverses life. Don't let him do that to you. We continue here, and we're told in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, which she was convinced of, by the way, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So the husband was present, by the way, during all of this. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew they were naked. So Eve listened, and she ate. Adam joined, and he ate. And now they're naked and ashamed. What, what is that? What the Bible is trying to communicate here is that they have brought shame into the world. They have done wrong and they know it. They have messed life up in their disobedience to God as they have rebelled against Him. And in turn, all of creation is going to follow in this rebellion. You see, they pass this down. Sin is passed down to you and I and all of creation. 
Suffering is passed down to you and I and all of creation. Pain is passed down to you and I and all of creation. Sin becomes like a genetic disease that we inherit, all of us, and that we participate in. They continue to respond in verse 7 in this way. And so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. The man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God. And so what they tried to do, instead of going to God with this and saying, God, look at what I've done, they decide to hide themselves with the clothes that they have made. So that God might not see them, or that God might not find them, or that God might not know what's going on in their lives, or so that God might not know that they've rebelled against Him. In verse 11, God says this to them, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman! The woman you gave to be with me, she gave the fruit to me, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is interesting. So the first thing they do is they try to cover their own works up by trying to make their clothes for themselves and then hide from God. And then they realize that you, you can't get away from God in his creation, can you? And he, he made the place. He knows where everything is and where everything belongs. And he knows where they are at. And so the second thing they try to do is act like they're not responsible for it. Uh, the man... Eve made me do it. What's interesting is the man was supposed to protect and keep the garden. That was his tree to make sure nobody took from. I'm so glad because I have a number of men that are here this morning and they're here without their wives for a number of reasons. Some because their wives are sick and some uh, because, unfortunately, maybe their wives um, just won't come to church with them. But one of the things that troubles me is that in so many of our homes, right, the, the man is so absent here that he is not leading, that he is not keeping, that he is not going to the Lord on behalf of his family. He's not taking responsibility. This is what Adam has done here. And then Eve, right? Eve. She's not off the hook here. Right? And, and ladies, neither are you if your husbands or uh, whoever you're hanging out with at this time isn't leading. You still can't blame somebody else. Eve here blames the serpent. She blames Satan. And the problem with all of this is it breaks. It separates them from God. It breaks their union and their communion with God. Have you noticed pretty much most of your broken relationships are broken communities and a broken country is all broken countries in general are all based on this idea of not taking responsibility for your own actions? Right? At the deepest possible levels, we, we call this corruption. Don't we? And, and what the Bible teaches us here is that we are all corrupt when we don't take responsibility and not taking responsibility leads to corruption, but... God 
will not have Eden, which could be translated paradise, implies perfection corrupted. God will not be corrupted himself. And so this is what God does in verses 23 and 24 in Genesis 3. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden to work the ground from which it was taken. He drove out the man and he drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and the flaming sword that turned away to guard the way of the tree of life. So, Adam and Eve are banished from this place which God has created. Eden, paradise, perfection. Their relationship is broken. We know, we know that this is true, that this brokenness, that the sin has entered the world, that is passed down to everybody, is communicated right away in, in the Bible through Cain and Abel. We have the first two, first two brothers at odds with one another. And what happens is Cain kills Abel, and then God shows up again, and he approaches Cain, and Cain acts like he does not know what he's done with Abel, nor does he take responsibility for his actions and his hard heart towards his brother, and the murder of his brother. As the Bible continues, we are told about the generation before Noah, and this is what we're taught about the generation before Noah. Genesis 6-5 sums it up. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, if you're reading through the Bible, that's not a very hopeful statement about humanity, is it? Right? It's not. And what is trying to be communicated here is that we are morally lost without God. Everyone. And, and by the way, the New Testament affirms this. Jesus affirms this. Paul tells us that all have sinned. He tells us that no one is righteous. In other words, no one is good on their own. Not one person is. This is affirmed all the way throughout. Theologians call this depravity. It means that we are morally fallen. That we are certainly not as bad as we could be, but we're not as good as we ought to be. One of the things that we need to know about our depravity and our moral, moral falling is that it separates me from God. It separates you from God. One more time. My sin separates me from God. Ready? Right, you guys almost sound like you're awake. <laughs> Here's the thing. Because God wants to be with you, he sends the flood to keep this from spreading, to show how much that he hates sin and the separation from him. The flood itself is protection. It's also warning to us that nothing in your life is more dangerous than sin. Nothing. Nothing. But... In spite of all of this, as we continue to read the Bible, what we are told here and what we discover, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our not taking responsibility for what we have done and our, our, our turning our backs on God, is this, is that God still wants to be with you. 
And the Bible is about God creating a way to be with you. The Bible is about God redeeming you and setting you straight and pointing you back towards himself. The Bible is about God making you good, not by any works of your own, but by his work through Jesus Christ, which is to come. If you noticed, one of the things that I pointed out is that Adam and Eve, they tried to fashion their own clothes. Well, they must have must so like I did in home ec or whatever, um, because what God does before he, as he, moves them out of the garden, he takes animal skins, and he sheds the blood of animals, and he covers Adam and Eve and the skins of animals. You see, as we continue out through the Bible, we'll see people do this, but this ultimately is fulfilled. Adam and Eve, you and I, man and woman, we will be covered with the life of Christ. We will be redeemed by Jesus. We will be clothed in Jesus Christ. That is our redemption. That is how we are made right with God. That is what will bring us back to God. I want to end here by kind of explaining what we've got going on um, here. Uh, if, if you can kind of get this, you can understand what the Bible is doing and where the Bible is heading from the beginning to the end. So check out Revelation 21, 1 through 3. This is something I often read just because this is something that we have to look forward to. And to understand this, you can understand the scripture and the narrative. What we're told here, and by the way, this is the, this is the back of the Bible. We started with the front of the Bible. This is the back of the Bible. Revelation 21, 1 through 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So what we are told here is that there is a new heaven and new earth. The old heaven and the old earth will pass away. In other, in other words, the fall, the sin, the corruption, the pain, and the old earth is going to pass away. And what God is doing is he is redeeming the world as he creates a new heaven and new earth, as he restores the earth to what it should be and what he wants for it. God is at work doing that through Jesus Christ. And when Christ returns, the earth will be restored the way it's supposed to be. Your relationships will be restored to the way it's supposed to be. You will dwell with God in the way that you were supposed to dwell with God. Now, what is quite interesting here is God starts in a garden. He starts in a garden. But we are told he's going to return to a city, a holy city, a perfect city. Up until recently, uh, did you know, and, and by the way, I'm not interested in predicting when Christ is going to come back, right? That would make a fool out of a lot of people really quickly. Um, but did you know, uh, within the past 50 to 100 years, for the first time in the history of the world, more people live in cities than anywhere else on the planet? 
You see, this is what the Bible is about. This is where we are heading. We are talking about everything in between. But today, if you can just get, get these basic things that we learn in Genesis, that God is creator, all things belong to him, including you, and he wants to be with you. And yet, our hearts are such that we will rebel against God on their own without him changing them and knowing that one day that they will be changed in spite of our rebellion and struggles. If you can understand that, that God is going to make everything right, you're going you're gonna to love this and everything that we're doing as we go through here. My challenge for all of you this morning is just simply this, is to reflect on this idea. Do you want to be with God? Believers, I just want to remind you that your sin separates you from communion with God. And so never grow comfortable with it. Never grow comfortable with it. Others of you, I'm going to, I'm going to let you know or in on something um, that all the Christians in this room are in on, that they've done, that they know about. And it's this idea of taking that first step to be with God. This is what it means to be a Christian. These three things I want to share with you today. Maybe you want to be with God. You want to be in communion with God. You want to be in a relationship with God. The first thing I'm going to encourage you to do is to quit hiding from God. <coughs> to quit hiding from God. from God. He knows everything you've done. And here's the thing. He knows that you are powerless to justify yourself and to change what you've done without Him. To change the future of your life without Him. So quit hiding from God and give the sin in your life, the parts of your life that you have messed up, give that to Him now. Don't, don't try to fix it all and then come to God. It's not going to work and it doesn't work that way. You give it to God first and you allow Him to fix it. But you've got to come to Him and tell Him this needs to be fixed. Second thing is, once you do that, you are acknowledging that you have rebelled against God. Ask Him to forgive you, and He will, and He does. Receive that forgiveness. Forgive yourself, by the way, as well. If God, is, if God forgives you, and God is the creator and the beginner of everything, He is the most important being in all the universe. If He can forgive you, you can forgive yourself. And should. And the third thing is this. Trust his commands. Listen to his word. And let him lead you. Because he will lead you to everlasting life. So if that's you today, uh, don't let this opportunity pass up to make that decision. Because this is what God does. This is who he is. And this is what he does when you enter into a relationship with him. Give your sin to God, ask for forgiveness, and have faith that you can trust Him and that He can change your life. Let us pray. Father, this morning, as the worship team comes and leads, I pray that we're reminded of some very important truths. 
that our God is our creator, and that he is also our redeemer. That God is at work in the world, and has always been at work in the world, and he wants to be in a relationship with us. Father, I pray that all of us are reminded that our sin separates us from God. So search our hearts and our minds and allow us to give that to you and to turn from that. Father, we thank you for wanting to be with us and calling us to yourself. Father, there are those here who, they may want to receive Christ for the first time. They may want to turn to you and, and they've never done that. And so, Father, at this time, I pray that they quit hiding from you. I pray that they understand that they are powerless to change and justify themselves. Allow them to give their sin to you. As they do that, Father, I pray that you let them know that they are forgiven. That you love them and will change them. I pray, Father, that they make a commitment to have complete and utter faith in you with all of their life. And that you lead them to everlasting life as they commit to follow you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.